everyone. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Tales from the Tavern. Tales from a Tavern is a live stream broadcast every Sunday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. All of our conversation topics come from our chat, so we never really know what to expect when we go live. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back and relax and enjoy this week's Tales from the Tavern. Hello everyone, we are live with another episode of Tales from the Tavern. I'm so excited that you all are here. Um, we got a great group of guests with us tonight, as you can see. Um, so I'm going to have everyone go around and introduce themselves, and I would like you all to just tell us a little about who you are and where we can find you on social media. Um, so Adam, we're going to start with you. <laughs> All right. I am Adam Colbertson. I am the DM over at Microphones and Monsters, uh, Cthulhu Mythos uh, campaign story. And you can find us at MikesandMonsters.com. Excellent. Uh, and thank you for coming back on. It's been a while since we've gotten to have you come and visit. So uh, I'm excited yep. to have you again. Uh, speaking I'm of somebody else who it's who it's been a while that we've since we've seen <laughs> Cam hasn't been on since we were on our last channel. <laughs> no, I know. How so, hello, all you lovely peoples. I'm Cam Day uh, at Daylight Pub 1066 on the Twitters. Uh, most of you guys probably will know me uh, through my company, Daylight Publications. We do a lot of stupidly overpowered, very narratively fun DMs Guild supplements. Uh, but most of you probably know us from Supers and Sorcery and Comets and Cockpits, uh, our two big setting books that we have got going on. And uh, yeah, that's about it for me. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and coming to hang out again tonight as well. Of course. And uh, another returning guest, Heath. <laughs> hey, Heath Dobson. Uh, you can find me mostly on Twitter at the moment. I'm always trying to build community there, so I'm one of those ones that's pushing that. Um, but DM of the upcoming uh, Caesar Votari game, Into the Rage. It's going to be a pirates and gunpowder, black powder game. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and we should have our Discord and website up very, very soon. So That's exciting. Yeah. Very, very cool. Looking forward to that. Uh, newcomer coming to visit for the first time. We have Matt with us. Matt, how are you? Good. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Matt Arter. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dungeon Matter. Um, I make 5th edition D&D class character options. Um, they're pretty cool. Check them out sometime. Um, happy to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you for, for coming on and hanging out with us. Uh, and definitely last but not least... Tom is coming back again to visit. <laughs> Third time's a charm for uh, Tales from the Tavern here. Yeah, I'm Tom Nelson. I go as Midwest Manager Guy on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, Twitch, pretty much anywhere social media has me. Uh, you can Google me and find me. Uh, I paint miniatures for gamers and collectors all over the country and the world, so that's that's my shtick. Awesome. And... Uh, if you haven't checked out his miniatures, highly recommend. They're super, super amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's so talented. Um, awesome. Well, 
I'm going to get us going with a question, but uh, for those of you tuning in for the first time, the way that this works is the bulk of our conversation comes from questions from chat. So please feel free to drop any questions you have for our group right in uh, into chat, and we will make sure that uh, we get a chance to ask them. We also have the uh, Ask My Question Next using our channel points. You can use a 1,000 channel points, and we'll bump your question up to the top of the queue. So feel free to use one of those if you feel so inclined. I am going to start us off with a question, however, and this is based on our conversation that we had a couple days ago when somebody asked whether or not we were having a theme tonight. Somebody <laughs> asked in our group chat a couple days ago uh, whether or not there was going to be a theme tonight, and the que- the answer that was given to us by Wolf's Blood was yes, and it's chicken and waffles. So I would like to know, what is your favorite pregame snack or meal? <laughs> Shrimp lo mein. Ooh. <laughs> that's that's uh, every every Saturday, yeah. Whatever is in my refrigerator that I happen to have at that time. <laughs> that or sounds about one, like me. <laughs> or one of the, the honey and o- honey and oats uh, nature valley granola bars. Oh yeah. Those things are like crack. They're so eat, good. I can eat a whole box. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's Taco Bell. I, I've never, I have now grown being a teenager. <laughs> Just greasy Mexican and yeah, Baja Blast. Oh, that's pretty close. I like making chorizo and egg tacos uh, before Ooh. the game. Uh, it always <laughs> really sets me up. I'm coming to your house to game. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I normally go, I guess, uh, if I had my way, I don't always get them all the time because I'm trying to lay off the salty stuff, but. Uh, Chili cheese Fritos. Nice nice big bag of chili cheese Fritos. That's kind of my go-to snack, I guess, for actual meal. uh, It depends on if Kim's making something or if I've made something. um, Normally it's something kind of simple because I don't want to be falling asleep, especially if I'm either playing or DMing. Yeah, that's fair. Keep it light. Uh, Reflux Capacitator in chat says Matt's chili, so apparently you make a really good chili. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I do indeed. It's, I take a lot of time with it. I'll, I'll send you my address. Just, you know, dry ice overnight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, it'll be great. Good with yeah. chili. Yeah. Uh, you know what probably would be would be great with chili as a side? Chicken and waffles. <laughs> well, we've got to get you to chicken and waffles. It's true. Sounds good. It's I, true. Uh, I often tell people, because I am a New Englander, chicken and waffles is really not thing up here like it's just nothing seafood it's yeah seafood everything seafood is seafood for us yeah <laughs> so yeah i introduced somebody to new england clam chowder a couple years ago and they were like how come i've never had this before because <laughs> you're well it's like i i i would meet classmates of mine growing up in high school who were like i mean yeah lobster is expensive when we were kind of poor growing up but we still managed to have lobster at least once a year and they're like i've never had lobster like you live in <laughs> And your grandparents live on the seacoast of Maine and you've never had lobster? <laughs> right. Like, no. Wow. I live in the Midwest. I live in the Midwest, so any any seafood that we get over here is, uh, is less less than great. Uh, I would love mm, for some killer yeah. East Coast clam chowder. Come on out. We'll we'll hook you up. <laughs> oh, I'm, here. I'm, I'm originally from the Seattle area, and I lived about a mile up from Puget Sound. So, you know, going and fishing down in the ocean was great. And then I moved out here and... <laughs> The, the the seafood not great, but man, having a walleye sandwich or something like that is fantastic. Yeah, 
All right. Well, we've gotten a question from chat, so we're going to start with those. Uh, Ray Mayhem would like to know, who is a fellow streamer, player, or podcaster that you love and why? Oh, can I answer this real quick? Go for it. Because I've got two. Number one is Josh Simons. Yes. Great, great guy. Uh, He and I have gotten to know each other really well over the course of like the last year or so. Um, and then um, Shannon Roby from uh, Advantage of Paradise, Paradise yeah. RPG, both yeah. those. Yes. Um, they're just great all-around people. Yeah. I second yeah. Shannon wholeheartedly and uh, Diagnose Matt. Both of them address um, mental health openly, and we, we need to do that. And it's, yeah. it's just refreshing, and I, I love them for it. Plus, they're just both so freaking adorable and fun to watch play. Right? Yeah. Matt is great, too. Uh, Matt was yeah. originally going to be in our Star Wars campaign, and then his uh, school schedule didn't allow it, and we were so disappointed. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard to pick one, so I'll pick somebody who I've come to enjoy a lot recently is uh, uh, Maka the DM. Uh, yeah. He's got, yeah. Yeah, he's got yeah. some really good stuff. Uh, he's really really funny to listen to um, but you get a lot of really good insights as well listening to the stuff yeah I unfortunately don't get to watch a lot of streams or listen to a lot of podcasts just because with teaching and especially this summer has been like crazy busy um, but I definitely do like watching Shannon uh, when she streams she's actually a guest writer on uh, comments and cockpit so getting to work with her and she's a teacher so having that is is a nice connection as well Um and then I'm trying to think of someone else. I'm sure I'll come up with someone else. But yeah, I I definitely need to do better in watching more streams and <laughs> listening to more folks. I just need to make the time to do so. It's tough. I always tell people like I'm in the same boat. Yeah, if you can't tune in when they're live, at least you know if you could try to catch the vods or whatever. It's I, I mean it's tough. There's so many amazing people out there to watch. I personally, um, for a podcaster, I really love. Uh, on Twitter, he goes, well, he runs two Twitter accounts, one for the podcast and his own, T.T. Benjamin, who is the DM for Lawful Great Adventures. Um, and they just finished their first campaign, and I was, like, in tears at the end of it. It was such a great story. He just spins a really, really good tale. Um, you know, I was super invested in the story and the characters and he just happened to have a great group of people that all just played really well together. Um, and I loved every second of that, of that podcast. Um, as far as other like streamers and players, I mean, God, there's so many, and I've met so many incredible people through doing this stream that, Like, if I had to pick one, it would be super hard. Like, it is super hard. (laughs) So, uh, I mentioned Big B's earlier. I think he's a ton of fun to play with. Um, Before we went live, I was talking about Big B's and... um, And uh, he is... He's just a lot of fun to play with. He's a great, you know, great character. Just an all-around really nice person. Um, I I would play with him any day, so... Yeah, I think for me... Um. Again, I've I've met a lot of people since I started this, and and got to connect with a lot of people. Uh, but my favorite right now, or so far, I'm, it's hard to pick. But uh, Nico Rodriguez from A Fool's Quest. Uh, he has a completely different DM style from me. I'm. I guess I kind of have a, a lazy approach because I, I 
I work better in like a improv and and not prepping um where he like has this like fully fleshed out story from the beginning all written down and i've actually got to work with him um on another show and i i like his method and i could never do it <laughs> i think one that one that came to mind though while folks were talking is um i never i never got to be a critical role person just because by the time i started getting more involved in rpg stuff like they were so far into campaign two, as I had. I don't have the time, um, but I have been watching Xandria Limited, and I have been like now hunting down more video, more of Abria's streams, watching her DM. Oh, yeah. I love her DMing style so much, and watching Matt get to be an absolute chaos gremlin is hilarious. <laughs> Getting to see uh, any like forever DM play, and then in addition with a with a. DM who's just got so much energy uh, and is so positive is really awesome. So I've I've really been because like now I feel like I'm like oh I actually can watch it now. Um, every Monday I set to because I'm not staying up till ten o'clock at night on Thursday to watch it. Uh, so every every Monday I watch and it's it is super fun to to spend the afternoon watching and getting. I to, keep saying Abria is a master class in DMing. I mean, I literally take notes, and it's not notes of the story. It's like, oh, that technique's awesome. That, oh. Like, it's absurd how much I I feel like I've learned from her in what four episodes now. That's yeah. Sure. She's all over the place this summer. She's everywhere. It's the summer of Abria. Yeah, it is summer of Abria. I will say another another person that uh, comes to mind that I think everyone uh, everyone should really check out is uh, there's a group called Friends at the Table. I don't know if you guys heard it. Austin Walker is the DM. Mm. Um, they go through a lot of different R- RPGs, um, even bouncing around with some of their own kind of systems. Uh, but they are he is just a phenomenal GM, um, and they they take so much time uh, to really uh, weave an interesting story together. Um, and they're they're really really worth a listen. They do a bunch of different little ones, but it's definitely get worth checking out. Nice. Um, okay, well we've got another question that just came in from chat. So as long, so as long as chat has written down everybody's name that we just said, so you can check all of these people out. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next question comes in from Reflux Capacitator, and this is a great one for all of you since you're uh, you all DM in in some capacity or another. If any of you use modules or fully fleshed out stories like Adam was talking about, how do you fight railroading? So something something I do, because I actually, I very rarely use any of the hardcover adventures. But what I have gotten into the habit of doing, especially for 5e, is um, taking them and pulling out the big plot points and then letting the rest of it be very much a sandbox. Um, I've, I'm doing, I'm getting ready because once my game ends that I'm doing my Eldraine game, um, my Tuesday night group decided to roll randomly for a setting and randomly for a hardcover adventure. So we're doing Tomb of Annihilation in Theros. So I'm having to retune and rework Tomb of Annihilation to fit in with like, obviously the high cosmic Greek, Grecian kind of vibe of Theros. Yeah, that's Um, wild. And so a lot of it, I'm like going through and just pulling out like the major plot points and then just kind of letting them go nuts. Something similar to my Sunday group is I'm going to take Storm King's Thunder and put Storm King's Thunder in Eberron, which just feels like a really good fit. 
And so I'm yeah. doing something similar where the other day I was going through like reading, pulling, okay, this point, this point, this point, but then letting them find it in a very much more organic way of like, you're wandering around the continent, you'll find something eventually. And then when you do, maybe you'll hit something and then go from there. Um, Cause I, I hate railroading. I, I just like stuff to formulate organically. It's more fun that way. Yeah. Um, funny that you brought up Storm Storm King's Thunder because I actually turned Storm King's Thunder into like a 007 kind of uh, style just because of like one part that's in it. I kind of changed every the casino part. Um, but <laughs> um, but uh, mostly what I do is I have an in-game plot point that I want to get to and then I completely play off of the players at that point just to get to that spot. I, uh, I end up trying to figure out what really matters um, and then don't get hung up too much on the details of it. Um, if, if it's an important, for example, like you're talking about with plot points, if it's an important plot point that they end up in this tavern, and you know that tavern is in downtown and the party's like, we want to go uptown. We're, we're feeling good. Like, I like it. Move the tavern uptown. Yep. It, it does not matter as long as they get there. Or, or if... Um, if you even want to go in a more freewheeling direction, maybe there's a different tavern, but what they're there to encounter, what they're there to find, uh, put that in their path wherever they go. Don't force anything yeah. on them. You can drop, you know, breadcrumbs for them, a little trail, but if they decide to ignore that, then they're invested in something else. They're interested in something else, and you should pursue that and try to integrate those things in there as best as you can. Because um, as long as they're having fun, that's, that's really mm-hmm. For me, I start each session with a page of notes. Here's what I'm planning. I'm good to go. And I'll have like, this must happen, this must happen, and this must happen. Everything else in between. My hooligans don't ever go where they're supposed to. And I swear to God, (laughs) sometimes they intentionally are like, we fuck with them. Excuse my language. But hmm, let's go this way. And so I'm just like, I'm so used to now coming in with my notes and just being like, okay, you go where you want and we'll have fun with it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been guilty of too much sandbox and not, I don't think there needs to be rails per se, but there should be bumpers that at least (laughs) get something, you bounce back into the direction of the plot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or uh, repercussions. Yeah. Yeah, there's always going to be something. I ran a 12-year ga- campaign for second edition D&D for a bunch of different players. And each one of them, I mean, some of them had different characters because either a character would die off. And, and like, like 50 to 60 years passed in-game. So there was a lot of stuff that was going on. So there would be, you know, new players coming in or new characters coming in from old players or whatever. And that whole storyline was basically, what do you guys want to do? What are your what are your characters' intentions? So I never had. Um, I had like my set big bad evil guy that I wanted them to defeat at the end, hopefully. Um, but I never ran a, a, any modules or, or anything like that for that game because everything that I had was self-written. And I would actually even have uh, written out uh, journal or diary notes from scribes that were 
uh, chronicling the adventures, uh, adventures. So, and I would send them out. Um, the, the group that I'm playing with right now, I did run a module uh, based. It's a fifth ed, fifth ed game that I'm running, but I grabbed this old second ed uh, module just because it had exactly what I wanted, and I just moved everything to fifth ed stats. Um, and kind of then let them go. I, I never really railroaded them too much. Um, I told them where th- you know where some stuff might be, and then let them choose what path they want to take. And that seemed to work out pretty well for them. And I do have to do a quick shout out to Marshall, who says that he can't wait to play D and D because he's here in Minnesota with me. He's actually one of my my wife's friends from high school. And I'm going to be teaching him on August 7th, so I can't wait to run him through uh, what I have planned. Nice. That's super That's excited. So I'm... now you have to tell us everything you're going to run him through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking it's actually going to be a murder mystery based in Baldur's Gate. Oh, fun. Ooh. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Nice. That's super Gotta fun. Love it. A murder I'll... mystery in Jersey. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I'll, I'll say from the published modules... Most of them, I, I mean, they're okay. I, I, I'm not. I've got quite a few of them, but honestly, the one I keep going back to is Curse of Strahd. It's so it, good. That's a good. It one. is yeah. fantastic, yeah. and you can turn that very sandboxy with again a few guardrails, just a few. But there are certain parts where you're like, you're you're not ready. Let me let me put up ah. the big flashy no 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 that that werewolf cave, real good, <laughs> real fun. I, I like um, I like letting players figure those things out sometimes on their own. Be like, what you're about to encounter is not everything in the world is your level. You know, I like it when players go in that cave and they find like a, a sleeping adult dragon and they're level three or something like that. No, then it becomes not. not how do we fight this dragon. How do we get out? Right. How do we survive? <laughs> um, and that's that's fun, you know. You don't you don't have to wake up that dragon for them to be engaged and for them to uh, to have a situation to deal with. Monty mm-hmm. Cook wrote in Dungeon Craft. I I used to love Dragon Magazine. I'll never forgive Watsy for killing wish they, it. Wish they still did those. I honestly, <laughs> that, the, what they do now is just just ads. Yeah. But he wrote back in the day, he wrote a Dungeon Craft article where one of his pieces of advice is, was just tell players up front, sometimes the right answer is run away. You, mm-hmm. you, you're going to meet things, you're going to go, huh, and then you're going to realize, ooh, maybe not. Okay, then get out. Go. And so that's, I always start every campaign now with that advice of, look, I will give you warnings. There'll be signs that maybe not, but sometimes the right thing to do is just either talk and try to figure out a way to negotiate it or, you know, save yourselves or just just run. And, you know, some of the best scenes are when the players are like running away and, you know, something's chasing them. (laughs) Yeah, it's so hard to make that artificial, too. You know, to get the actual tension, it's it's kind of a hard thing to force without them knowing that you're forcing them. But when it, when it comes from their own actions, their yeah. decisions, and they're like, "Oh no, we did this mistake for me." Yeah, yeah, delicious. 
it's the Han Solo <laughs> running down the hallway, finally, and then getting to the the uh, the hangar bay with all the troops and shooting one, and then going running back. You know, that's, that's yeah. Kind of, you know, I love it when our uh, some of my players have done that and just. You know, they're chasing after the, the one kobold with the sandwich or whatever. They're trying to take him out, and they get to, like, the, the giant cavern where all the rest of the kobolds at, and they have to make a decision. Do they run through or do they run back? Yeah. Good. I think one of the big things I've been finding with the hardcovers, especially doing, like, my conversions for to different settings, is that I almost wish that when you bought a hardcover... It was almost two separate smaller books, one with the quest, and then they always seem to have like a gazetteer attached to them for specific locations. So almost as if it'd be like, instead of getting one giant book altogether, you got, here's the adventure, here's the gazetteer. You can have either or if you want to use it. Um, especially like with Descent into Avernus, I think was one of the ones I started running through. Like I tried to run by book, but I got so frustrated with it because there were so many different little plot points that just went everywhere. And I was like, I, I, I gave it to. Him. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna run this anymore. I gave it to a friend in our group. You run it. I can't <laughs> because I got so frustrated with it. Yeah, um, a lot of the modules are the uh, they they have ADHD. It's the only way I can think to describe it. But you're right. They, <laughs> what do we do here? And it's like, well, you have twelve options. I think Ryan the Frost, yeah. Frostman, I think was did a good job of that with like. Here's the different narratives in the ten towns. Here's how they all tie together eventually. I think that's where I saw it done really well. Also, I bought Rhyme because I had a bunch of friends that worked on it. I was like, I must have put my friends. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I really like. I like what you were saying. Um, to touch to touch on things that you said and that Heath said is I I love Curse of Strahd as a module. Um, but with these all of these modules, uh, what I like to do because I run a, a very homebrew world um, is I. I like to just use them for inspiration. You don't have to touch on the specific plot points as much as the flavor. And and Barovia and you know the, the kind of domains of Dread Strahd as a character. These flavors are so rich that you can pretty much do whatever you want with them. And they they just give you a, a tool set if you really kind of dissect them. And I like to like you said you uh, Heath you have a page of notes of this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen. The way that I like to DM is normally I'll just have like one thing that has to happen, and these are things I would hope to happen, and things are think, and then I'll name like one or two things I would dread to happen, but I stay mindful of them uh, throughout as we go, uh, and then I let the players kind of uh, make their own nightmare out of any situation. Which I love my players, but they tend to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's my, kind of my approach to I, I hate the alignment system entirely, but I always tell them actions have consequences. You do what you mm-hmm. want, but then you're you're the one that's going to make what happens happen. I have a, a buddy of mine, uh, Ryan Langer, Realmwork Media on the Guild. He did his book with a couple of folks called Realigned, which is kind of a reimagining of the alignment system, and it had three different remember, three different systems, and one of them was like a like a reputation system where you do good things, good thing happen. You do bad thing, bad thing happen. Because mm-hmm. uh, I also, I get fed up with alignment sometimes because we have one, there's, again, this is the guy I was telling you guys about earlier, the the, the Thor cosplayer always plays lawful, good, human paladins. It gets very boring, very quick. And meanwhile, I'm over here like, I'm the lawful, evil, hobgoblin paladin. <laughs> and he's like, you can't be a lawful, evil paladin. I'm like, I can. 
can. Yeah, exactly. It's like now you can. can yeah. yeah. All day. So yeah. I actually went out of my way with my, my season of Adari game I'm about to do that I took the lawful good they're zealot priests, but I I'm making them one of the bad guys. And there are people like, wait, lawful good is that I'm like, yeah. Yes, they are absolutely 100% lawful good, but they are, they're horrible people. Mm. They, their view of this, you know, worship, they tolerate no one else's perspective on it. And yeah, I, I'm having fun with it. And my players are like, why do these priests keep showing up in all the other countries we go to? I'm like, I don't know. What? Start looking into it. It's weird how that works. (laughs) Yeah. Out of the out of the two campaigns that I run, one of them uh, they play um, a group of uh, they've joined like an underground rebellion in a very much uh, very much a Star Wars uh, versus you know rebellion versus the Empire kind of way. Um, And they they this whole time are like we're the good guys we're the good guys. But there's this you know blonde haired golden armored uh, cleric of Bahamut who. Uh, who is constantly after them, and and from his point of view, I mean, they're the worst. They're tra- tearing everything down, and I like I like the kind of Star Wars idea of there are there's good and evil on both sides, and that's very much a, a theme in their campaign. And it's very fun to play with. So I love I love when you talk about that idea of like why why do they keep popping up? <laughs> you know, that's really good. Well, they can't. We can't decide anymore. What is alignment? Is it a mechanic or is it? A role-playing tool. They've put it in fifth ed in this sort of middle ground, and it doesn't work for either. You, you got to pick one. If alignment matters mechanically, then you've got to keep it in there and protection from good, protection from evil, all those things matter, and the paladin has to stick to lawful good, whatever. If you want it to be a story-driven thing, then fine, just move it over with, you know, with your various ideals, bonds, everything, and just turn it into what is your view of the world and your morality. You, This hybrid just, to me, it fails. And I think it's something D&D's been moving away from, and they need to finish. I, I like to view it as less of, less of a mechanic and more of like an interesting, uh, an interesting check-in. You know, I don't hold my players to that. I think people are really complicated uh, and, and, you know, we're we could be a little mix of everything sometimes. And sometimes that's where you kind of end up neutral if we're looking at the whole themology of it. But if, if, you know, sometimes I could look at a player at the beginning of the campaign and we'll be like, just for funsies, what do we think that kind of alignment is with him now? And later on we'll check it, but we don't hold them to any, any type of like ruling or system like that. Like anything that's real tight. You know, I've had one player that one day was incredibly nice and incredibly supportive and everything you would expect of like a compassionate good character then the next day he had like cut off somebody's hands um and it's people are complicated and then i think that alignment like you said should either be mechanical um to where it's part of the rule system um or else it should just be a completely loose narrative thing that doesn't have to be tied down to anything i i I really agree with that a lot Mm -hmm. i feel like yeah i I feel like alignment is a thing that either it has to matter completely or not at all (laughs) right yeah, yeah, and they—they basically made it that way. They're, the mechanics around it are almost gone, but there's still just a few little pieces that hang out, and you sort of look and you're like, "What? What? Why? 
<laughs> and, you know, this doesn't matter to anything else, but okay. Yeah. It's like the dregs um, at the bottom of your coffee. You're like, what are you doing here? Go. Right. They all, I, to me, the only things that should be aligned are, you know, the, the good planes, the bad planes, and the creatures that come from there. But it should be simple. You're good, you're evil, you're lawful, or you're chaotic. It's not the combination. It's not the... Which do you embrace with your... your where you're from and move on. And now we can make that character, whatever that demon or that, you know, celestial, whatever, that personality of it reflect that one piece. And I think that's a better tool than trying to use the nine, nine points. So. We need a 56 point system. <laughs> then I'll be happy. <laughs> Not till then. Oh, all right. Let's see. So let's see. Another question that we got um, is from, uh, let's see. Oh, okay. Down here. Um, this one comes from, uh, in chat, it's from a far podcast. It's uh, Goovy behind the name. Uh, so hello, Goovy. Goovy would like to know what has been your favorite villain to put in front of your players or vice versa. What has been your favorite villain to face as a player? Oh, can I answer this one? Go for it. So I, there's a couple of DMs that I, I like to gather around and we with uh, crazy evil bad stuff for our players. And one of them um, helped me with this one. We call it eating the evil muffin. And so we decided to take, um, I think it was like the Bane Lich or something like that from Second Ed. And we turned him kind of, turned them kind of into like the Nazgul, my my campaign world and so they were uh they could cast uh, i think it was called like a cold fire missiles or something like that so but instead of them being like d4s for each missile they were d10 um oh yeah yeah they were super nasty they had like a cold touch that they could do as well and if they dropped you down below some much they could turn into a white uh, this is just stuff that we started kind of making our own monster out of for the most part and but the big bad evil guy could create these things and the way that he would create them is he would take infants and turn them into these nazgul type things so once the once the the spirit of this nazgul thing uh, was defeated they would kind of fold, their robes would fall down onto the, onto the ground, kind of like a Jedi after going to the Force. And But there would still be something squirming in the robes, and the players would then open up the robes and find a baby uh, in the robes, but a, a baby that radiated evil. And having a paladin and a cleric, uh, both good aligned at the times we were playing Second Ed, in the... Uh, in the group, it was their moral conundrum of do we kill the child or do we try to save the child? Do, you know, I'm going to cast, you know, whatever this you know, spell on it and detect magic, detect evil, detect, you know, whatever. Spell curse, they would they would try a bunch of different things. Nothing would happen because is it the baby that's evil or is it something that's, is it the aura around the child evil? And yeah. The cleric himself basically said, you know, I'm... <laughs> 
<laughs> Reflex says, that's horrifying. Yeah, I know it was great. I loved using them. <laughs> um, but it made a great moral dilemma for players. Because some of the players, one of them happened to be a, a lawful evil character, and he's like, I'll kill the kid. And that made the cleric and the paladin, who were kind of leaning that way, go, no, 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 we're not doing that yet. So that was one of my, my favorite kind of, not the big bad evil guy, but definitely his minions to send out against the party. And they'd show up, like, every sixth or seventh session, they would just appear. They would, you know, because they were tracking them. And, uh, yeah. So uh, that's one of my, my big ones. I would think, because I don't get to play very much, but one of the times that I did play in a very continuous campaign, campaign it was in, we did an orcs, orcs and Goblins game, and our DM was, there are these, like, two kids in our group who are obsessed with Forgotten Realms, so they'd never do anything outside of Forgotten Realms, which got kind of boring real quick. <laughs> um, and But the one game we got to play, like, okay, you guys can, we're going to do Orcs and Goblins, we'll be in the Underdark, and I did this uh, orc warlock who was very much inspired by Gul'dan from World of Warcraft. It's like very creepy, very hunched over. Um, and he was a warlock of Dagon. And over the course of the game, we were gradually finding out that my patron, the Dagon, was like leading us to him. And so I, I renounced my patron. Like I took my horns, I snapped them off my head, um, and I started multiclassing into Barbarian. So I was a barblock, which was awesome because i'd fire off all my spells and like oh the warlock can't do anything takes off <laughs> like robes ripped underneath um so we ended up at the end of that campaign we actually killed my patron like we hunted this giant eldritch monster down That's and it was this huge epic showdown it was made better by the fact that one of we were using this really fun little book which was like 200 extra wild surges there for our goblin sorcerer. His name was Snicket, the luckiest goblin alive. <laughs> um, and it was just this, just ridiculous stuff. Like you start ralphing delicious cream cheese, or you turn into a mandolin that you can only transform back if you pluck G minor or something. So the one he rolled when he got his magic surge when we're fighting Dagon was everything within a 100 foot vicinity becomes coated in thick, creamy peanut butter. Uh, so we're we're like, yes, epic! We're fighting this giant sea monster, and then just everything's covered in peanut butter. Oh. <laughs> so we're trying to fight it. Delicious. Slightly, slightly less epic. Um, but then right now in my Eldraine game, because it's so like high fantasy fairy tale, um, I'm gearing it up for them to like. Very rarely have I ever used dragons, uh, and I'm trying to use them more. And they're getting ready to face this like ancient red dragon who's sort of like one of the uh, sort of an ancient knight who was a dragon and it just feels very fairy tale-esque and i'm loving it and my group is eating it up and they're like they're all analogs for knights of the round table and i was like oh just it's so simple just just he's a one-dimensional evil bad dragon and there's just something lovely and simplistic about that that i'm like i don't have to think about his motivations he's just an evil dragon um (laughs) And they're like, we're going to go kill the evil dragon. I was like, so it'll be interesting. Also, considering that there's all these little connections between my fiance's backstory and the dragon. And she was like, I don't like you for doing this. <laughs> and I was like, we had too bad. <laughs> you should have written some more. Yeah. <laughs> well, her. So her story was cool because 
she used to never play D&D, and she's slowly gotten more and more into it. She's gotten more and more comfortable. So each game we've played, her characters have gotten more wild. So this game for Eldrin, she's like, I want to be a genie. I was like, okay, we can do that. Uh, so we wrote that she was thrown out of the elemental plane of fire for wanting to be good. So she looks like a six-year-old with flaming hair, just wandering around Eldrain, exploring on her giant fox, whereas she's actually like 500 years old. Oh my but gosh. They've, oh my they've, God. they've discovered that like the volcano that she created when she landed on the plane, the dragon used the ore from her meteor to create one of the ancient artifacts of the ancient kingdoms that he's trying to use to control people. And we just revealed that last session. She was like, I don't like you. <laughs> she was so, very yeah. frustrated with me after that reveal. <laughs> but I, I go the other way. I like to make a, I like, I like it when things are very pointed and straightforward, but I, when I, I like making things complicated, like an onion, like layers deep, like, <laughs> like I like spinning that web and having it come back years later. And they're horrified. And one of my players, like you were talking about the barbarian warlock uh, or Warlock Barbarian. Uh, yes. but, but one of my players is my fiance, and she's been playing a Barbarian forever. And she was always like, I will never multi-class. I will never multi-class. That's a lot. I don't need that. And then something happened, and they ended up in a bad spot. And she was approached by Asmodeus, Lord of the Nine Hells himself. And he said, I will save you, and I will save your party. I will take them out of this situation if you sign this contract to be my wife. Uh, and so she signed it and part of her now warlock pact that she has with him is like this big ruby ring on her finger uh, and it's gotten increasingly complicated but I like making it deeper and deeper because he started telling her things that were true that like her family had kept from her forever and she's becoming increasingly tr distrustful of everybody else and he's not lying to her the lord of like deception and devils and and all this is is the one person who's telling the truth to her and that pain that 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 type of emotional pain is has been super super rich but she's she's gone from full out going into a rage to trying to hold back that rage as much as she can to do spells um and that's that's been that's been really really interesting but i like i like that emotional depth uh, going to going to big bad guys like we were talking about, I have um, I have one who in that same campaign, they are chasing after these you know shards of, of demonic energy, whatever. It's they're they're chasing after this item, and the <laughs> um, they meet this duke, and they don't know if they can trust him, and they make an insight check on him, and it's kind of a middle number. And I was like, you're you're not sure, um, but they rolled fairly high. And so they thought that he was just okay. And then like a session later or something, they had to go somewhere and they passed through that Duke's area. And he's like, Hey, take these healing potions with you. Um, you know, be safe on your journey and come 40 something sessions later, he ensnares them into this awful trap, which almost kills all of them ends up with her signing that contract with him, um, or with, uh, Asmodeus. And there's this awful reveal of, of, of you, you, we trusted you so much because you gave us healing potions and we didn't question things too much. Uh, and they're just that deep betrayal. I'm a, I, I love my players and I, I love watching my players hurt themselves emotionally. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of tears in our game, but there's, there's a lot of laughter too. Yeah. My, my favorite one uh, that I've done so far, it was a combination of like two creatures 
uh, one of them being the king in yellow and uh, a homebrew um, creature that basically is is a building um, and it has it collects bodies and uses it, the bones to, to build it uh, but they were inside of this house and they didn't know that the house was this creature and it it shifts and, and changes to, to mess with their minds and then of course the, the king in yellow that they encountered at another point could completely read their minds and learn their past, everything like that. They learned how to block him uh, from from having that that control over them. Uh, but they had to go through the the house creature tower in, in this instance, and in as it evolved, and um, so the king in yellow and the the beast, this this creature. Um, were working together and it was able to change the rooms like they'd walk through a door and it would just completely go to something in their past uh that that was very emotional in in their their backstory and character building and everything to really hit them emotionally and try and drive them crazy to the point that one of them was about to give up and one of them had to had to save save him and and everything but he was he was gonna just let himself burn alive um but by the time that they got to the king in yellow, like emotions were high, tension was high, anger, uh, desperation, and, and just just one of them just ready to give up, and it it just it was an awesome awesome battle. Just just combining that together. Very cool. For me, that my favorite one. I did the dual Paulus campaigns back in three point five. And so these two groups were playing parallel games. What they did affected each other, but they both came to really hate the head of one of the crime groups, but they were terrified of him. His name was Menon Balakazar. Monty Cook created him, brilliant, absolutely awesome character. And by at the end, when they finally confront him, He's just a normal person. He's he's a crime boss who terrifies everyone because he has all these people. And he does have some artifacts and things that make him a bit dangerous, but he wasn't he had no cl- like class levels. He had no he was just this old decrepit man that would just order kill the 20 children, I don't care. And when they all got done and discovered this, they're all like, "You mean we could have killed him?" <laughs> And I'm like, I mean, you would have had to get through his protectors, but yeah, basically you could have killed him at any, his, his children were more dangerous than he was. Wow. I loved it. And they were just like, but I got to play him so over the top and menacing. They would meet him and like the players would all be like, oh shit, oh shit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 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 Cause they were, they, they thought because he was the major crime Lord in this huge city and so they just assumed he was this. I lo- he was fantastic, and he Dude gave knew me how so to use word of mouth. Chewing. <laughs> <sighs> do you um? Do you guys, as players and DMs, go in more for uh, like the high epic moments or like the strong emotional reactions? I like, like the, the more like the how do you want to do this versus like the. 
that's not really your father moments. Uh, I I don't think you can play this without embracing both. Both, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that. There's gotta be a little little bit of both in in my game. You know, it, it's one. So we took a break from our fifth ed game because a lot of people were either on vacation or they were off doing other stuff for the summer. And we're, we won't get back into playing until October. And the way that we, we... I didn't leave it so much on a cliffhanger, but I left it with um, Talos, the storm god, had come in to... Uh, uh, I'm, the basics of uh, the game that I'm running, it, it takes place ten years after the Lost Mines of Fandelver. So we're still in Fandalen and parts of the Sword Coast. But uh, one of the... the Furbolg cleric, she is um, a cleric of Talos, and there was a plague that was running rampant Dallin, and she hadn't really been paying too much attention to what Talos wanted her to be doing, and so when she was starting to call on healing power, rejecting her, and or making it very little, like slowly healing somebody, whatever. So, he finally confronted her out, he, she, she ran off into the woods to have a, uh, a, you know, a fair meeting with him, basically, and he, his avatar shows and says, you're either going to, you know, start doing as I'm telling you, find the acolyte, find, you know, destroy th- certain things that I want you to destroy, or you're just going to be, you're nothing. I will take everything from you. And as he's having this confrontation with her, and they're talking, a storm is moving in off the coast, heading to Fandalin, and all the rest of the players, because they don't know where she is, they're all trying to save some of the townsfolk and whatever, and they're just seeing this ginormous storm moving into Fandalin um, with giant waves, things like that. They, um, and finally she breaks down and she's... she The character is crying and she says, Yes, I will do what you want just save the town. And as she says that, he nods, and lightning starts striking all these different houses in Fandalin. And instead of destroying the houses, he's healing the people from the plague. And he says, and now you're mine. And the storm goes back out into the ocean. And that's where we ended it. And so now it's going to be, you know, a few months later, what you know, and I've sent them emails of you know what does your character want to do? What you know all things over the course of these next couple of months, and I've gotten some really good stuff back from a, a few of them, and I'm waiting to hear back from a, a few others. But uh, uh, you know, one of them's uh, she's a, she's looking for uh, she's a, a dragonborn ranger who is searching for the. Um, group of orcs that uh, destroyed her village but she's also looking for her father that she never met and um, so little hints have been dropped that he might be in uh, Cormier and you might want to go there but then we need you here you know come back so now she's got two different paths where where is she going to go so it, it should be interesting to see what they what they decide and, and how they want to tackle some of these other issues that are starting to come up. 
that's fine. I really love the dramatic cliffhanger when you yeah, have yeah, you have a moment cool. like that and end a session there. And then mm-hmm. in between sessions, your players are their gears are turning. They're talking to oh, each yeah. other. They're talking to you. They're still engaged. They're still playing. Yet they're not at the table. And I think that's mm-hmm. the coolest yeah. thing. Yeah. I think for me, when I was still gaming with my group at home, they were very much more kind of. Most of them were like video gamers. They weren't. They were sort of video gamers first, then role players. Um, so they were in it definitely more for like the let us kill things and get the loot, um, <laughs> and not so much the more intimate role play moments. But when I started doing with some other groups, um, it definitely got to be. There was a lot more intimate, very emotional moments, and being that I was a theater kid and call it in high school, you know, it really let me kind of flex role with muscles and really help the other folks. Um, there's a moment in our uh, Eldraine game that we're doing where they had to go to this one of these kingdoms to find because each of them there was originally four of there's four players, but they they one of them runs two characters. Uh, but each of them is from one of the five kingdoms of Eldraine. But they need to get one from the fifth kingdom. So they were going to the city to find the fifth one. And they find the fifth one, and they're like, oh, she's kind of this, like, savage warrior wa- warrior woman. And then they realize, oh, she's actually a werewolf. Okay. <laughs> and then they, they, they sort of capture her, kidnap her, drag her off, and then sort of later that night, they kind of, like... They find out she's like not much older than like sixteen or seventeen, and she kind of it was this very it was this really emotional moment where I was kind of role playing this kid who you know her mother was bitten by a werewolf, her mother couldn't afford to live, so a wizard paid her mom to take the daughter and raise the daughter as like a science experiment, and sort of it was this really very tough scene for me to role play but also for my group because my group this is the one with my fiance her brother and then my two other friends they were like having a hard time because they were like this is really tough like this is hard and then they're kind of realizing this quest we're on is to get this next queen of eldraine and we're dealing with a kid who is not even 20 doesn't know how to control her werewolf powers was abused and is dealing with all these, and it was it was just very sweet and very powerful to see how they rolled with it and kind of like took her character in. Um, and, and at the same time, they're also one of the other dragons they've met, who currently is in their regular form. Um, I had written it that that dragon had just sort of before they found this dragon had undergone transition surgery to sort of unlock this magic that she then he had and they were sort of interacting with her and kind of and my fiance comes from a very catholic family so kind of also kind of slowly trying to introduce her to more of that kind of stuff um and she's been really awesome about it which is great um and just sort of them interacting with this character of Safan, sort of trying to respect their pronouns, trying to understand what they've gone through, what they're experiencing. And that was also really powerful. And I think I've come to enjoy more of these really small, intimate moments with my players rather than the big epic stuff because it lets their characters open up and you see the players open up more and it's kind of 
at least those those are two moments that really stood out to me because like even I was like, okay, hold it together. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. you 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 put on the How to Train Your Dragon soundtrack, I'll start crying because I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> uh, so these these those moments were like, don't no can't cry can't do it. Um, got it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Little verklempst, mm. little verklempst. <laughs> Luna, you didn't tell us you had a fun. You didn't tell us you had a familiar. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> I was. I was going to joke. The executive producer showed up. Yeah, ah! pretty much. It's, yeah, because it's, it's break time. So you know. Yeah, it's it. That's exactly it. It's time for us to take a break, and she wanted to make sure I knew that. So yeah, this is this is. Uh, if you uh, have ever followed or seen any of my Instagram posts, this is Gamer Cat Molly. Um, and uh, she is she is my familiar. I've had her since she was six weeks old, and she turned sixteen this year. So, um, oh. yeah. So she's my she's my baby. Um, so with that, we are going to take a quick break so that uh, everybody can get up and stretch their legs and refill drinks and things like that. And uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. We've got a few more questions already in the queue. Um, but if you think of anything that you would like to ask our guests, feel free to drop it in chat, and our moderators will make sure that we get it. So we. We'll see you in just a few. Adventure, laughter, and a complete disregard for the rules. From Afar Podcast is a Dungeons & Dragons 5e actual play podcast with a focus on roleplay, making goofs, and storytelling. Join us aboard the Sea Monster for hijinks on the high seas as a diverse party searches for the fabled lost city of Atlantis. Find us on all major podcast platforms and on social media at From Afar Podcast. Come aboard the sea monster and join these four friends separated by distance, but brought together through adventure. And we're back. Hello, everybody. How are you? Um, Hello. <laughs> we were having a very uh, good discussion behind the scenes, and I was like, I had to wait for just the right moment to be like, we got to come back, guys. Um, so we're going to dive back in with a few more questions. Um, let's see. The next one that we have actually comes from Apache1222. Two, two, two. Uh, he would like to know, since you are all DMs, what is your favorite NPC that you have come up with so far? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. He literally was invented last week uh, for my Eberron game. Uh, his name is Darian Zortel. He's a beholder who owns a winery in Korenberg. I love him already. Uh, and yep. he, he has a fabulous handlebar mustache, uh, a single monocle for his big eye, uh, smaller monocles for all of his eye stalks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so my group was like, okay, we got to go because they were sent to this city and they're like, crap. Okay, before we go to the person we have to meet here, we have to go and buy the wine that they like that that other person told us. So they go to the winery and they're just like, who's who's in there? And they're like, oh, you see a beholder. And they're like, <gasps> and he goes, good morning, everybody. Welcome to my winery. I am Darian Zosel. I'm my pleasure to meet you all. And one of them in the group is a Horizon Walker uh, ranger. So he's like, he's used to like bamping through portals. He goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you just hear him loading a crossbow in the back. He's like, nope, not, not screwing it, nope. But he, he has by far become my favorite NPC just because he's so ridiculous. Uh, and he has so much class. He's just just a classy, classy beholder, classy guy. <laughs> For me, it's um, in Vodari. Um, the, I actually did a prelude, couple of prelude campaigns 
Um, my game is actually a hundred years past the book itself um, for the, what's coming in the stream, but I said it. I just wanted to get experience in the world, and I made this just flamboyant sea elf bard who's always singing. He's always getting himself into trouble, but he jumps and he dances and he engages and blah. And so then the, a lot of the players were in the preludes, now moved to the stream, what's going to soon be public. And so they're sitting there and all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, you got to the city and you hear this outstanding music being played in this Square and I literally saw one player go, and like the others are like, what? What? And you know, slowly the players who knew who he was figured it out, and they're like, "What?" I'm like, "It's been a hundred years, guys. He's an elf. He's still around, and he is just. He will get them into trouble, and he just. He's just awesome, and I love it. You know, getting to to have that crazy." You go for the classy. I went for the completely chaotic. Hey, what are we going to do tonight? Yeah. <laughs> so it was just awesome. <laughs> my favorite it's, right it's, now is. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, yeah. My, fav- my favorite one uh, right now is is a recurring character in, in our campaign on microphones and monsters. It's uh, Man Rose. He's the elevator operator for the organization that they run or that they're, they're a part of. And, um, I never made him stand out or anything like that. Like there's a lot of things behind him, but the players just latched onto him and it just developed a relationship with this NPC that operates this magical portal dimension elevator thing. And even the, the, the listeners just, just absolutely love this guy. And he's just, he's just this gnome and he's like, Oh, hello gentlemen. And, and just, just always, always cordial, always polite. Like he's just the the nicest little dude. And um, yeah, I never expected it, that to develop the way it did. And it's just become my favorite character now. Um, my second favorite of like any NPC I make that's a yak folk um, that I got from Storm King's Thunder. Uh, every yak folk talks like Goofy. So it's just like, hey, Alistair, and like, <laughs> and they just they just lose it, and and anytime I do a yak folk, it's got to be goofy. <laughs> I, it is it, it's always surprising the way that you see uh, parties latch on to NPCs that were meant to be small or or not you know not not very fleshed out or detailed, and they they're like, no, that goblin, Boblin the goblin, he's coming with us. I'll die for Boblin. That's our boy. Like. Let's go. And you're like, but you were here to meet that one. Yeah. Right. No, we want Boblin. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'd have to say, uh, I'd have to say, oh God, I want to do like a top 10. It's so hard. But I, I'd have to say my, my favorite is probably, uh, there's a, a half elf or formerly half elf lich in my world whose name is the house. And in my world, there's two big continents separated by this kind of wild frontier of like, a million islands um and in there he runs uh the world's best biggest casino resort um also named the house uh and it's it, he will cater to your every need at at no expense i mean i remember one of them one of the players played a loxodon druid 
Um, she she would said that she was a heftier girl, and so uh, one of the attendants in the casino said, "Do you want to get off of your feet?" And he uh, he like basically snapped his fingers, and the whole team of very muscular halflings came out and just lashed their arms and made a human walking chair for her and carried her around the casino. Uh, it was like a dozen of them, and I remember by the uh, by the end of this session that like one or two of them had died uh, in the mix and had not noticed. Uh, but at the end of the session, uh, they they had to go fetch uh, his uh, uh, a package for him, which ended up being his phylactery. But he, uh, um, in the end, he he tried to sign them into becoming employees uh, because he treated all his employees really, really, really well. And that's because at the at the end, um, that when they would die, that he would get their soul, and that's how he kind of kept getting his souls. He wasn't killing people; he was employing people well. Uh, and they stayed with him until the end. Uh, and his level of, like, sophistication with a little bit of, like, CD crime boss nature was good. And I remember monologuing at the end that no matter which way the party went, the house always wins. I was uh, about to ask you if you used like that it. line. 100%. <laughs> yeah. And he's, uh, they, the, they love him. Every time we talk about him, like, everybody always wants to go back to the house. Uh, not just because he's a little scary and exciting, but because of, like, you can get whatever you want. And, like, crazy, crazy odd things happen there. Uh, but it's he's always just become, like, really, really fun. He's actually my, my profile picture. Uh, one of my friends drew um, an artist named uh, at Moochie Fox on Twitter. Um, she, she drew a picture of him. That's my profile picture on Twitter at uh, Dungeon Matter. I will have to uh, I guess I have a comment. I've got a couple. Uh, first one is actually an old and uh, old uh, character that I played back when I first started playing D and D. His name is Tam Far. Uh, I was a huge ElfQuest fan, so I merged those names together and took off. He was a um, he was a half elf uh, thief uh, that I played for quite a few years, various iterations of uh, games as well. Um, and I've brought him into our fifth, uh, the fifth edition game that I'm running, Fandalen campaign, and he is. Uh, I love running him because he is he's old. He has been through so much stuff. He's been through a lot of different planes of existence, so that when he has interaction with the player character, they're like. Well, we're looking for this. And he goes, well, I am in acquisitions and reclamations. I may be able to... And he just goes back to his place in Waterdeep. He may have something that they're looking for. Um, the other one that, again, kind of like what, what Matt said of, you know, Boblin the Goblin, uh, his name is actually Grinkle, and I drew him. Uh, he was in one of the modules. So there's, there's Grinkle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so good. <laughs> And, uh, he, I, he, yeah, he's Grinkle, the littlest hobgoblin. He was in one of the modules where he's just sweeping the hallways of this dungeon where all the other hobgoblins were, you know, bigger and stronger. And he was sent there by his father because, well, you're little and hopefully you'll get killed. Kind of a thing. And the player characters just lobbed onto this guy of, we are, we are keeping Grinkle safe. Nobody is hurting Grinkle. He, he's our little sweeper boy and and so he's going to be, yeah, he's ours, you know. <laughs> nobody's, hurting, nobody's hurting my son, you know, kind of thing. Um, and and from the uh, uh, the cleric of Talos, she's the one that was like, oh, no, no, Grinkle 
Grinkle is safe. We're not hurting Grinkle at all. Nobody hurts Grinkle. You know, kind of a deal. So, I had to that's draw so, him up for him. That's so fun as a DM because then you can just put even just a hint of danger and they'd be like, don't you touch my baby. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. It's so fun. There was, Turbo. Meme, there was a meme <laughs> of using, I believe one of the characters from Brooklyn nine, nine, I think one of the female uh, cops, but it's her holding like a baby dragon going, I just met him yesterday and I will murder anyone. of you." <laughs> <laughs> it was just beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, we had a I I don't DM, but I played in a game where it was the same kind of thing. It was like this totally random NPC because it was a streamed game. Um uh chat was allowed to for, you know, like 10,000 experience points or something, they could throw a an NPC into the game and it didn't have to be um, you know, anything major, but uh, you know, it was a nice w- nice thing that they could get involved in. And so somebody created a goblin named Squee, and oh my god, I, like, my character was not a huge fan of him, but the rest of the party was like, we will protect Squee if our lives depend on it. And it was like, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, you know, it was it was just so funny how attached to him everybody was. Like, we managed to, um, he had been... Um, he had been uh, isolated from his from his village. He wasn't allowed to go back, and he, uh, you know, so our our group like set him up with stuff so he could make his own camp. And then, like as the campaign went on, they ended up getting him a job in town, like cleaning up trash Aww. along the river. And you know, they the town agreed to give him a little hut, and it was like, oh, oh my god, oh. like this whole character is just taken on. Off of a, uh, on a taken off on his own, you know, um, but it was just so funny how attached and like this was like a thing. Like chat was super, super. I mean, the DM would threaten anything to squee, and chat would be like, "Don't you dare!" You know, <laughs> like it wasn't even just the cast. You know, chat was all squee for president was like a thing. You know, uh, it, it was yeah, because it, it was just before the 2020 elections at that. You know, so squee for pres. <gasps> Um, that was a whole big thing. Um, oh my god, it was so funny. He just, everybody loved him. Did you as a player ever, ever, like, try to get rid of him or put him in danger? I've seen, I've seen groups do that where, like, one person doesn't like Boblin and they'll be like, I'll kill him the second nobody's looking. So... (laughs) She didn't ever try to dispose of him because she knew the rest of the party would be like, holy crap, what just happened? And but she probably, thought of it. <laughs> but she definitely was not a fan. And uh, and she um, and and everybody knew it. And she actually had a really good reason why she didn't like him. It wasn't just a, I don't like him because he's a goblin. She well, I mean, she kind of did like him, didn't like him for that reason. But um the person that she had been uh, romantically involved with was killed in a goblet attack on the town. And oh. so by his former tribe. And so we were like... That beef. Yeah. So she was just like, I don't care who you are. Like, I just don't like you, you know? Um, so she was pretty pissed with him. And, uh, and that was why. Even though he wasn't involved on the raid on the town, but she didn't care she was he was from that tribe so did you guys ever get to hash it out 
No. Oh, that would have been so good. We never did because the stream came to a very abrupt end. So, um... We're doing it right now. Go go yell at me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. It's been a while, so I don't know if I could dig that deep right now, but, um... But, yeah. Luna, I gotta tell you, we... With the Discord that we're planning, mm-hmm. I was telling them about the last time I was on, we talked to you about how your Discord chat influenced the game. Yeah. And I was like, I would love, I know that takes forever. That is not an immediate thing, but I'm like, I want to start from the beginning incorporating that. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite, favorite things that we did. So um, and I, I am seriously considering thinking about uh, figuring out a way to do something similar with our current Discord for this channel. Um, what we did for people who haven't heard us talk about it before is we had a a chat RP channel that was very informal. Um, you know, basically what we did is we, we threw a dice roller bot into Discord. Um, we used Dice Maiden. I actually literally commissioned a picture of the Dice Maiden and had a t-shirt made that says the Maiden is a fickle <laughs> bitch. Um, and uh, she's basically yeah. like this elven woman carrying a mace with a D20 with ones on every side. Um, it's, oh. Yeah. Um, I will dig it out sometime. Uh, but uh, basically what it was is it was a it was a channel that the cast of the stream could RP in, but the community could create characters and interact with the cast. And so it wasn't officially canon what was happening in the RP channel, but every day or every week um, the DM would check in with me or, you know, somebody and say, okay, what happened in the RP channel this week? Is there anything of note that I can then tie in to the stream. So we had um, a character who did become canon. Um, we had uh, something called Sprited Mead, which was like regular mead, but it was made with a drop of Sprite blood in it. Um, oh. And so it caused you to get drunk less quickly than it did with with regular mead. Um, that became canon. So just different things like that that we could then pull in. Um, to the main storyline. So, you know, things that were going to happen anyway suddenly now also had an effect on some of the characters or some of the places that had been created in this little side world that we were kind of building. And, and you know, when I say it was informal, it was basically... It was either play by post or just kind of whoever was available and someone would kind of lead the group through some kind of adventure. Um, Again, nothing formal. It wouldn't be like, okay, everybody pull out all your dice. You know, it would be like a we roll using the dice roller and um, anything that was a, you know, an 11 or above on a D20 was a success. Anything that was a 10 or below was a failure. But the the how high or low the number one was like the degree of of your success or your failure so if you rolled like a 12 it was like you succeeded but barely um if you rolled a two it was like almost a critical failure and like really really bad you know um so it was just and it was just kind of something that evolved as we did it you know we just kind of had to come up with something so we made it work but uh it was a ton of fun and um really like brought in a lot of people uh, that wanted to interact with us but couldn't necessarily always watch the streams. It was kind of a neat way to interact with people who only got to watch the YouTube video, you know, after, you know, after like a week or so because we tried to keep it very spoiler-free. So, um, 
it was a nice way to still get to interact with people who couldn't necessarily be in chat all the time. And I loved it. I loved it so much. Trying to come up with a name for it because I was going to be like, I'm going to call it Luna, like the <laughs> island Luna, and that's going to be where this happens. But there's already an island named Luna in the setting. Oh, so I'm no. like, oh, I'm going to figure something out, but it's going to be in your your oh, honor because no. you gave me that idea. I and I, I love that idea. I, yeah. It's really, it was a lot of fun. And, and, you know, I would love to do something like that again. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, Oh, good times. Also, it also, uh, for me as a player, allowed me to do some really great character exploration without right. um, necessarily having to do it on stream. So I figured out a lot of uh, a lot of things about my character during the during the course of doing that, that I didn't I wouldn't have had the opportunity to figure out just through playing on stream or just playing once a week. Um like so much so to the point that I've actually submitted a panel idea to PAX East twice yeah. um, about it, uh, calling uh, the name of the panel was going to be New Character Who Dis. And, um, and it was all about text-based text RP as a means of character development um, because it really just, it helped so much with that. I would encourage, yeah. even if you just get a chance to do it with some of your players, like give them a place that they can RP things out together, like yeah. stuff that may not be canon, but just a place to kind of interact with each other in character. I think that's really helpful um, for, you know, building building rapport both between players and through between characters. Um that was just a great thing that we sort of developed off to the side. You know, my character taught um, someone who didn't know how to read common, how to read and in an exchange. He taught Evie. Uh, she took a level of fighter because he taught her how to be better at using her sword and things like that. And so the moments of that training happened off screen, but we worked it into the canon through doing all of that. So it was yeah. very, it was very fun. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. We got a question from Jim the Dim. Uh, Jim says, question for all. How do you feel about collaborative world building with your players? I love it. I've actually, this game in particular, I'm telling them point blank. If I don't have something planned and you're like, oh, I'm from this country. Great. Tell me about it. And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, I have nothing for it. Here's the paragraph from the book about it. Tell me about your customs. Tell me about your stuff. Tell me. I'm also embracing the idea of when they walk into a bar. All right. Just randomly pick one of them. Tell me something that's in this bar. What's going on? Can't pick and do anything that's going to give you a mechanical advantage or anything like that. But you describe something. Give me part of it. It creates an investment from them in all of it because a lot of times I think players, they they almost get the easy side of it because they're just like, I, I'm just here. It's, it's kind of a passive involvement of I'm interacting with what you put in front of me. No, no. I want you to be the person devising what's in front of you. Help out. Um, but I... I I, to me, that's the root of all role-playing. The DM is not a special person. We're all players. Mm. Uh, it, yeah. 
I've got a, I've got a, so I've got, like I said, the homebrew world and there's so much, um, on the large scale that I have. And on the small scale, I like to let players kind of influence stuff. Um, one of my players, for example, um, she comes from this elven kingdom and we, I said, okay, where in there? Just pick, pick a place. And eventually we picked a place called the Sable Tower. And then we started flushing out together you know, okay, what do they do there? And I was like, okay, well, I think they guard the northern half. And I think that, you know, they ride horses a lot up there. Uh, tell me tell me some more little things that they do there. And she would ask questions and bounce it off me. And we'd go back and forth off each other. But what was so cool about that, more than just the idea of filling in the world, was that it helped to inform her character as well and how she feels about things. She likes horses a lot. She knows how to ride horses pretty well. Uh, she's not you know, nervous around them or anything like that. She's also, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of like a rustic area. So while she's been in the big city, she's not comfortable there. Um, and that's not information that would have happened if she didn't fill in that area uh, with, you know, with her own ideas. And then it, it, it was like, she wasn't aware that she was building her character as she was helping to build the setting. Uh, and it's great because this is like this is a place now, and and we know about it. And it's real, um, and you get that real like ownership over it too. I think player ownership in a setting is very is very important, uh, and it and it helps to develop that character investment of like why are we protecting anything, you know? Yeah. And that's 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 definitely part of it. Be like I don't want the Sable Tower to burn down. That's my home. I yeah. love that place. I have childhood memories there. Yeah. 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 With with. Uh backgrounds and stuff like that i i a lot of can y'all hear me okay i couldn't hear myself for a second um with the player backgrounds I, I like to build around the players um even when we're playing it's it's like the world is constantly being built as as we're going um it's it's i got things there but constantly adding things just uh based on what they want to do or or sometimes hell they even like come up with a name um that i didn't have a name for because they asked me what's this and i was like i don't know <laughs> why well, didn't i just coming up with it and they they come up with it so i just i just let it roll keeps the game moving yeah i had a, a perfect scenario last night was actually i was running a monthly game for some friends of mine and uh supers and sorcery and of course we you know we wrote the setting book we published it and everything but now i get to like dive back into it as a dm and start to develop all this other stuff and so one of uh, our one of the players, he comes from like a noble family in town. And he's like, OK, I, I write a letter to go with my brother. And he and I just for like a solid 15, 20 minutes. We're just like riffing back and forth, completely off the cuff, just world building it all there as they're talking about like, their extended family, what's going on, all that kind of stuff. Um, so like then frantically, I'm like, hold on, guys. And I'm like, shh, shh, shh just like writing <laughs> shit down um and then like 30 minutes later he's like oh i go meet my sister i'm like oh shit okay. and just writing all the stuff down and then i got back home last night um and he had to give me a lift because my car is broken and he was like i was like you know i have to invent a whole genealogy because of you and he goes i know you're welcome <laughs> um so now i get to like go and build this whole web of like the the various noble houses and beacon and how they interact with each other which i'm totally down for but it was like never thought i have to do that um but yeah i love you know collaborative world building is like the best because 
I used to think like, I have to build everything myself as a nope. young, foolish <laughs> child. Um, and then I got older and I was like, I'm lazy. I don't want to build everything. They're going to help me make it. Uh, and it was just, it was more fun because it was, it would be kind of like doing Eldraine, you know, Tuesday nights. Uh, a lot of the stuff, like there's some lore from the set that you can get off of like Wizards website, but it unfortunately never got a plane shift article. So there's not that much about it. So a lot of the kingdoms were kind of in, I'm inventing stuff with my group as we go uh, and kind of adding to it. And it, it's, it's fun because it has, there's enough structure that they can build within it. And there's enough sandbox that we can just expand out from there. So I, I love collaborative world building. When you, t- when you talk about fun that way, it's like players get a lot of the fun during the play. DMs get a lot of fun, you know, watching that happen and triggering things and such. But when you're doing collaborative world building with a player, you get the sense of discovery and fun that players do when you go into this town and, and like the buildings are on fire. Don't worry. That's normal though. Like, when a player tells you that, you're like, what? You you go yeah. crazy. Like, that sense of discovery gets lost a lot for a DM. So collaborative world building is a really cool way to get that experience. Yeah, it helps trigger new ideas for you as well. So. 100%. I think it, it, it makes your improv skills. You, you got to adapt. You know, players throw something. You're like, I can work with that. Sure. Mm-hmm. I kind of I don't I don't have too much of that. I mean, I do with DMing and and whatnot. I mean, there's there's players that will come into me with their backstories of where they came from, what they've done, you know, uh, and whatnot. But kind of as a as a player, um, I got to world world build with um, the DM that's running our our three point five game right now because there are no there were no tabaxis in. But I had this great idea for a, and, and Luna has seen the photo of this guy, of Walker the Tabaxi Ranger. And I totally took the idea from Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> I love puns. And, um, and to, you know, to make it even worse, I decided to name his weapons. Uh, well, I kind of went gaga with it, with uh, his pistol is called... Um, uh, bad romance. His rifle is called Poker Face, and the knife that he uses is called Edge of Glory. So, <laughs> right? Yeah. But he's like, okay, well, I don't really have Tabaxi. You know, three point five Tabaxi wasn't a thing. I'm like, well, what about just a cat person? We don't have to use Tabaxi. It's so much, but just that. And at the time, I was also. Uh, watching a lot of uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars, and Cad Bane had made an appearance. I'm like, he's kind of like this guy, but with like a little bit of Doc, Hol- Doc Holliday Southern Gentleman type of thing, with a big, bright, you know, wide-brimmed hat, but his ears poke through it, you know, and you know, he, he wears a, a, a long leather overcoat and um, but he's got this Southern, you know, like, that, like Georgian drawl kind of feel, and uh, he's very Doc Holiday-ish, and then he he. Uh, but then I threw him a, a curveball, and I said, "But he's not originally a Tabaxi." And then he was like, "Wait, what? No, he was a human, and a per- and he was a ranger. But he was a his job was as as a bounty hunter." And I said, "What if he didn't do the job that he was hired for? He let somebody go." 
and the person that hired him, who was a high-level mage, polymorphs him into a tabaxi. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. Perfect. And he says, so now Walker, taking kind of from the uh, the gunslinger by uh, uh, Stephen King, is chasing this high-level wizard to try and turn him back into the person he's supposed to be. And the f- more and more, you know, as time goes by, the more tabaxi, the more cat person he becomes. And so he starts, you know, growling at people. He starts, you know, if he gets angry, he'll hiss at somebody and he'll go, oh, oh I'm sorry, I saw about that. I did not mean to hiss at you. Yeah, and he's very <laughs> much this, you know, trying not to become what he doesn't want to be. Uh, and so Chris, our DM, created this whole southern section of this continent that used to be kind of a wasteland, and that's now where the cat people have come and um, uh, built their society, and they're very... They're very Jamaican-esque, is the way that he's running them. So he's taking that kind of... um, of accents and mannerisms and, and, and whatever to with these these cat folk that are now in the world. Did uh nice. did uh, Walker end up uh, get, finding that wizard? Uh, we are in the process of tracking him down. We're, we've gone back to uh, the Southlands now where all, all these tabaxi are and found out that they're when he left it was it was quite a few years ago. And now that he's coming back, uh, he's found out that there are um, they're high-class tabaxi, which are actually rakshasas, and then there's the lower-class tabaxi, which are actual tabaxi. And the higher uh, ones have uh, gotten dominion over the low-class tabaxis, and there's, there's badges that you have to have to get through different cities down in the south now, rather than just being able to pass freely. And it sounds like they are um, basically creating a whole other uh, society and temple system uh, in this old uh, necropolis that my party is going towards. So it should be interesting to see where it goes. Cool. I'm liking the other thing that I've been embracing is the DM just, I'm going to say yes. You know, hey, I want to do yeah. yes, yes, and I, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not saying it's going to succeed. You know, they like all the time in combat, they'll be like, "I want to try and do this thing," and I'm like, "You can try, okay. yeah, you you can roll." <laughs> I, I I don't even know if there's a roll high enough. Roll it and let me. I'll figure it out once I see the number. <laughs> yep, and. But I mean, that's, I think that's kind of our job ultimately. I didn't used to think that way. Um, I used to be a lot more, I was very much the, the DM versus the players, um, which I get, it gets a bad rap, but there is some fun to that style as well. Um, but now, yeah, I, I want to enjoy the story more than the combat. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of hate the. I hate fifth ed combat. It just, <laughs> my God, it goes on forever. Somebody, uh, somebody in the chat said that uh, the yes and has its limits, and and I agree with that. Yeah, it does. Uh, but I do think it's a fun practice to try to do it when you can. 
Uh, when, mm. when you know, okay, if somebody wants to flap their arms and try to fly, yes and. Okay, yeah, you know what? You think you get off the ground for like an inch. Nobody else sees it, but you think you did. <laughs> um, no, yeah. Obviously, you're not going to let them fly across a canyon or something like that. Mm-hmm. But once yeah. it really hurt, you know, and if you're 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 kind of giving them a moment, you're giving them a shot, and you're embracing the idea that in right. these role playing games, anything is possible. Um, so I think the yes and also encourages kind of the partnership between DMs and players, which again is the opposite of the the kind of DM versus the players idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just kind of depends on your style and what's fun for you and your group. I mean, some groups are really love. DM versus the player, be like, we will just, you know, we will, we're coming for you next week, Mark, or something like that, you know. <laughs> you know, and that's where I say it gets a bad rap. Everybody's, oh my God, well, you're just trying to kill them. I'm like, it, you're missing the point that if I want to just kill them, I can just kill them. They're, 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 there's, that's not the point of DM versus player. Here's, but, here's the, the nightmare story I have about DM versus player is that I'm very. Uh, I root for my players like crazy, even though I make them like cry and I make them angry at each other and angry yep. at me. Uh, that's all from love, of course. Um, but the uh, um, we went to a convention one time, me and my group, and I got to play with them in this interesting uh, kind of competitive D&D table setup where there was like two hours. There was a set adventure. Every group at every table had one DM and all the parties were uh, different types of paladins. Um and we all played together to try to find these griffin eggs. And there was a grid. We all went through it. And the Ooh. goal was to get as many of these uh, griffin eggs as you can. And when two hours went up, uh, the adventuring party that got the most would get, like, actual board game prizes and stuff. It was really a cool concept. Yeah, awesome. And we sat down with this guy who we'd never met before. We call him Neck Rubber because it's all he would do the whole time. But he, uh, <laughs> um, he, he had the most bizarre complex of uh, DM versus player that I'd ever seen. I, I would try to do something that he would say was possible for him a minute before, and then would say, no, no, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that for, for anybody else. Now, that's rules argument stuff. You know, that stuff happens, but but he genuinely, he would like hurt, like, you know, maybe we did a hit with a smite. Okay. He'd be like, no, but you don't kill him. He's tough. He's tough. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And then, then shortly after, he'd like, he hits you for like a billion damage. And he'd be like, ha, ha, now you're dead. And he would laugh at players, ha, now you're dead. And I, I could not <laughs> fathom no. what made him actually get enjoyment. Like, why was this the environment that he would bring that out in and was clearly not on the same wavelength with us? It was actually interesting because my fiance was at the table at the time and she. Her character got hit for a bunch like that. He laughed. Ha, now you're dead. And uh, and she looked at the rest of us. She's like, guys, I'm sorry. Like, I died. I'm, I'm going to have, I'll go wait in the lobby. Uh, and I was like, no, no, don't, don't you worry. And I laid on hands her. So she had to stay and suffer with the rest of us. <laughs> uh, she still doesn't forgive me about that. But we all, we all remember uh, Neck Rubber uh, as just the worst case of DM versus player. And I, and I think that. You just need to get on the same wave, wave, wavelength with your DM and party, whatever you do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Next question that we got is scroll up a little bit. Um, okay. 
Uh, from Vertrox Nightblood, do you ever do yeah. anything special uh, for yeah. real life holidays and special events such as players' events, uh, players' birthdays in session, or any fun stories from doing that? I did Frosty the Snow Lich. Frosty the Snow Lich. <laughs> I know we. I wrote. Uh, I wrote a Christmas themed one shot called "The Light of Yule" that's on DM's Guild, and I had never had a chance to actually run it with anyone. And I finally ran it this past Christmas season with uh, my fiance, her brother, her sister, and unfortunately now her uh, uh, husband who has passed. Um, and it was a really good time. You know they they. They all used these Christmas-themed subclasses I had made. It was really cheesy, really stupid, um, incredibly over-the-top. And it was definitely really fun. I think it's just... We've never... I've never really done anything D&D-related or RPG-related around holiday just because it's usually family time. And I'm usually with my family during that. And so we've never you know, really got together to do, you know, special themed ones like that. Um, I'd like to at some point, you know, maybe once things calm down and get to be back to, you know, somewhat more stable, but it's usually always, it's usually family time. So D and D usually goes away for a couple of weeks and, you know, you play lots of jeopardy and drink lots of eggnog and regret life choices as you sit on the coach couch, very bloated. <laughs> so, <laughs> Unless you're my brother and you drink two glasses of eggnog and then two glasses of cider and then realize you made a mistake. Uh, <laughs> the only only thing I ever did was a right after Nightmare Before Christmas came out, we did a parody. Um, and that, but that was the one one and only time I did anything. I I, I agree with Cam. I generally say once the holidays hit. We're never going to align our schedules, especially now as adults. You know, when you were in high school, well, you were all off of school at the same time. You were this, and your know, parents didn't get a month off, and so you could still play. But now I'm just like, uh, you, you be with your kids, you be with your spouses, you know, whatever, and we'll be here the second week of January. So I've I've made a ton of uh, holiday-themed subclasses and stuff for folks to use over the holidays. I did one I'm very proud of. Uh, the Great Gobbler Warlock Patron, which is a giant celestial turkey uh, that you can have as a Warlock Patron. The cover art's great. Uh, or I did this like series of six Christmas subclasses where it was um, Nutcracker Legionnaire Fighter, uh, where you turn into a Nutcracker over the course of the game. Sugar Plum Fairy Scout, uh, where and the great thing was that my artist friends that did it went so hard on the art to make like this very serious, very grizzled looking sugar plum fairy scout, and he <laughs> looks so epic. But you're, then you just then you just see his like little sugar plum fairy companion, just like yeah! with a hammer next to me. Like, yeah, I'm not <laughs> um, oath of I did an oath of cheer paladin, spirit of Yule warlock patron, uh, gingerbread rogue, where you get little gingerbread men that help you stab people. Uh, and, I hope with peppermint sticks. Yes, yeah, with peppermint daggers. With actual peppermint <laughs> daggers. And then uh, Circle of the North Pole Druid. And those are all really fun. Um, nice. So I've made, I've made tons of holiday-themed stuff, but I have never 
done a full holiday game. Now. As Why far as somebody do a twelve days of Christmas subclass. Oh my god! Mm. Oh, that would be so good. That's like, a good saying, That's what my mind was just starting to go through, and I'm like, oh, the well, ring. Yeah, you got a few months to set that up. Yeah, <laughs> put that on the calendar. Yeah, tag me in. I've had um, a couple of small Christmas one shots. Uh, one where there was uh, this deranged dwarf in a sled. Um, he was like running people down. Uh, I once had a frost giant named the Saint of Claws who had 12, uh, he had 12 gnolls with him that one had a, uh, a big red nose and they, they like raided this fortress. Um, but and then my most recent and probably favorite one that I had done was uh, I created a holiday called Penumbra Night in my uh, homebrew setting, Palasia. And it's essentially where uh, it's very Halloween inspired, uh, where the veil is the thinnest uh, between the Feywild and the Shadowfell and the Material Plane. And so you have this night where uh, people dress up in costumes and they think it's just a legend, but sometimes you know things cross over, and it's wild. You'll see these these wondrous uh, you know fake creatures uh, that are these sprites that will prank people and full of mischief, and you'll have. Uh, these terrifying, terrifying shadow creatures come out as well, and people will put sweets outside of their door, uh, and it's and it's to distract the fae, and it's to feed the the fell, the the shadow creatures. Uh, everyone just treats this like tradition. But what I love about doing a one shot on that is it's the night where everyone's celebrating, and the adventuring party starts to see the real things that are coming through, uh, and that's that was always just such a good time. We did a uh, a Christmas special this this past Christmas uh, for the show, and Man Rose, the my favorite NPC that I said Such earlier, a good name. <laughs> yeah, he shut the elevator down basically and said that they were stuck. And since they were there, he wanted to play a game. So they played in character with me in character as the NPC. We played Cyberpunk Red in a D and D world. Um. Because the the library is interdimensional stuff like multiverse, yeah. Um, so he had to explain uh, Santa Claus and, and Christmas to him and everything. But uh, yeah, they they ended up playing in a campaign, and they had to stop Santa Corp. Santa Corp was was stealing children. They had to figure out why they were stealing children and, and rescue them and everything. And it was it was just a lot of fun. We actually just released the the man rose uncut um where we I, we put it we left in where we broke character constantly throughout it because the way i edited it was like they stayed in character the entire time playing other characters so um that was a fun just holiday event cool we thinking a- of santa claus from or santa bot from futurama the evil <laughs> or yeah we did a, a holiday-themed um, episode of our Fifty Shades of Crimson Pathfinder game on uh, on our stream, and it was basically like this, this uh, uh, what was the holiday? The holiday was Merry Mead, 
Um, we kept instead changing it around and calling it Merry Meadmas, like the holiday was Meadmas, and we were saying Merry Meadmas, um, but no, the holiday was supposed to be Merry Mead, and there was like this play that we were, we got roped into helping out with, like it was this total side side thing from the normal game, and. Uh, <laughs> And because all of our characters got, like, roped into doing it, everybody was talking in this, like, super flat affect, stage fright type voice. And it was like, my character, I mean, I point (laughs) over that way. (laughs) (laughs) It was so fun, though. It was a really, really good one. Please tell me your bard was still up there like, but then I will. Uh, Probably would have if we had a bard, but our... our Uh our paladin was super into it. <laughs> okay. As a DM, I'm cursed with a bard in both of my campaigns that I run, and they're both the bane of my existence. Oh, no. <laughs> I just want to find one player to play a bard who will actually sing and do in character. I uh, would that player. I, oh, I would. I would, I would. I would. I would. I would. Oh, my God. I would love them. I, but I would, uh, my friend Oh, go ahead. Yeah, my friend Have you ever seen Dungeon Run? Uh, yeah, my friend Chad is playing a high elf bard, uh, and he's actually a, a musician and singer. So, um, especially when we were playing online, um, he was playing, he would bring his guitar out and play and sing, and that's how he would cast his bardic inspiration, which was just perfect. Well, the one time that we actually got to play in person, the very first game. Um, we got together, he brought his guitar with and, and was doing that. So it worked out pretty well. It, it's, it's pretty funny when he gets, gets a chance to do it. With the Dungeon Run, which is probably my favorite of the professional actor games, but um, Katie Michaels plays a gnome bard. She literally writes songs as things happen and we'll suddenly be singing them and it's just like how did you but her training is improv that's wild there's a there's a gnome in one of my campaigns his name is Bobby Nog Bartholomew Bellywick Bills of Bellybub or something like he has like five D's and I can't ever do it Uh, but he's he's a gnome Um, he's a multi-class bard and steamwright steamwright's a homebrew class that I made um but he has a, a a mechanical companion named Treblemaker who is an automaton who is essentially a one man band who accompanies him um but he uh as a bard he will do that he will write limericks and small like uh song verses about things either during the session or in between sessions and he will bring them up later and he does this to recount the adventures and the tales that they do and he'll straight up sing them at the table and it blows me away he's not like a trained singer or anything and he'll just start going into it uh and i can't help but give him inspiration every time because he puts in so much extra effort yeah awesome yes if you didn't give them inspiration the other players should riot (laughs) Um, wow that's the actual bardic inspiration then I guess Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. well unfortunately we've hit the end of our second hour so we need to start wrapping it up but what I would like to have everybody do is uh, we'll go around again just remind us of who you are and where people can find you on social media and if you have anything that you want to promote or let people know you have coming up or anything like that um, feel free 
If we didn't get to your question, what I usually do is uh, tomorrow on Twitter, I will post them from the Shared Experience Twitter at Shared EXP RPG, and uh, I will tag all of tonight's uh, guests so people can answer questions. And, and, you know, if you're in chat and you want to answer the questions too, absolutely feel free. Um, Ben, I see you. Oh, heck, I missed the window. You didn't miss the window. We just ended up with a lot of questions in the second half. So, <laughs> um, so, uh, so unfortunately, we didn't have time to get to yours, but I will, I will definitely be dropping them all on Twitter. So if people want to take a look at those, you can. Um, mm-hmm. We are going to go in the reverse order this time. So, Tom, we're going to start with you. Oh. Hi, my name is Tom Nelson. I go as a Midwest Miniature Guy on all the different social media apps out there. Um, pretty much you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram as Midwest Mini Guy. I can't put miniature in the entire title. But I paint uh, miniatures for gamers, collectors, and role-playing games, and hopefully some uh, some miniature companies at some point in time. That'd be fun to do again. So... Yeah, I'm an avid gamer and role player. And if you are in the Twin Cities area of Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, my band is actually going to be playing at the Dubliner Pub uh, next Saturday night. If you like Irish punk rock, come out and see us. Awesome. That sounds like super fun, and I'm sad yeah. I'm not out in that direction. So, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for, for coming on and hanging out. It's always a pleasure to get to get to chat. Um, Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Matt, we'll go to you next. Uh, yeah. My name's uh, Matt Arter. Um, I am uh, at Dungeon Matter on Twitter. Uh, feel free to follow me. Say hi on there. I'm always down to talk about anything RPG related. Um, I also publish uh, 5th edition D&D player class options on DMs Guild. Uh, you can search up my name on there, Matthew Arter. Um, take a look through there. Um, that's about it. Awesome. Well, it was great to get to have you on. It's always nice to put a face to a, to a Twitter handle. And um, hopefully we'll get to have you back again sometime. That'd be great. Uh, Heath. Uh, Heath Dobson. I'm the DM for the upcoming Into the Rage, a Siva Vodari campaign. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dagda's Cauldron. Um, any eyes that I say or my opinions, any wheeze or, you know, from the company... Uh, I do want to give a shout out to my players, um, Caleb, Stefan, Leah, Kenny, and um, Andrew, Paj, and then my producer, Justin. You guys are killing it, and I cannot wait for us to go public, guys. It's going to be great. And uh, also to a, a, a new follower, I think, or a new potential player for my home game stuff is Ricks. I really hope it, things can work out with that. So anyway, hey. thank you. Awesome. I am looking forward to all of your upcoming stuff. I can't wait for you to start getting it out. I know it's going to be awesome. Yes. Um, Cam. Okay. I'll try and go quick. Uh, <laughs> so Cam Day, guys, at Daylight Pub 1066 on the Twitters and the other social medias. Uh, things you can see that I am working on right now. I just released today uh, the last book in my Heroic Paragon Epic series. It's a conversion of the old... Uh, heroic Paragon Epic System from 4E to 5E, uh, sort of clumped into Primal, Arcane, Martial, and Divine Classes. So if you want to grab those uh, and bring some of that great 4E wildness to your game for 5E, you can do that now. 
otherwise, we are working on wrapping up uh, production on Comets and Cockpits, our two-book space uh, 5e space junker fantasy uh, setting books, which will hopefully be coming out uh, hopefully in December. Um, and then otherwise, we are beginning production on our upcoming setting, uh, Spellpunk, Solar and Sunder, which Luna is in that serving us to see all the shenanigans we're working on, um, which is going to be a uh, post-apocalyptic solar hydropunk setting uh, with lots of alchemy and science and stuff. So I can't wait to play test that. I'm so excited. <laughs> I think I think I can fit more stuff into my schedule. I think I can if I, I if I tweak it. Yeah, you just <laughs> have to of, like start canceling your classes and stuff in the fall yeah. and yeah. Yeah. I'll just say, sorry, guys, I'm not teaching this year. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. But, but I would still like to be paid. Yes. Oh, yeah. one other thing quick. In the in the uh, Twitch stream, I did post a uh, link to get you guys a free copy of the PDF of Supers and Sorcery, which was our first setting book, uh, which is a 5e uh, comic book flavored setting set in the mega city of Beacon. Rather than us trying to reinvent the wheel and make superheroes work for 5e, we just said, we're just going to give comic book flavor and not try and make another Mutants and Masterminds because Mutants and Masterminds is terrible. And it's just too <laughs> freaking clunky. So if you guys want to get a free copy of the PDF, it is in the Twitch chat. Yes, so. it is. Yep. Um, posted right there, the drive through RPG link. Um, Cam, thanks so much for coming to hang out again. Um, and, uh, I know we've got we've to play on a time to get together and... Yes. Talk shop. <laughs> uh, Adam. Hey, I'm Adam Culbertson. Um, DM over at Microphones and Monsters. Uh, it's a Cthulhu Mythos uh, campaign and um, uh, for D&D 5e. And uh, we, we, we have 30-minute episodes, like 30 to 45 minutes. Try and keep it short, uh, easy to binge. Um we're actually releasing season three, premiering August second. Uh, we're expanding microphones and monsters as a brand uh, to do more productions. We're acquiring an audio drama um, and, and continuing its seasons as we go. Uh, working on a spinoff series that's coming out um, after it takes place in season three. Uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, before the end of the year, uh, that's going to start releasing. We're already recording. And uh, I'm playing in a series that just started this month called Ethereal Embrace. Uh, and you could go to mikesandmonsters.com for, for all of Mikes and Monsters stuff and etherealembracepodcast.com um, for, for, for that other show um, run by a, a Fool's Quest. Awesome. That sounds like you've oh. got a lot coming up. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, we're also going to be, if you're in the, the Charlotte area, we're going to be at Mad Monster Expo uh, September 3rd through the 5th. Uh, for uh, We're, we're going to have a table, so you, if you're in the area, you can come by, see us, and um, get some get some swag and, and just talk to us. Well, now I'm jealous of everyone in that area. I would like to go yeah. to that as, as well. <laughs> um but unfortunately, I'm not in that area either. So, um, well, thank you all so much. This this was great. This was a lot of fun conversation. And, uh, and uh, I'm really glad that you all got to come and hang out. Um, 
I am Gamer Mom Luna. You can find me on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook uh, under the name of Gamer Mom Luna. And this is Shared Experience. We have three streams a week right now. We've got Tales from the Tavern here every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. And uh, then we've got our Star Wars Edge of the Empire game Ripples in the Gray, which is on Tuesday nights, also at 8 p.m. Eastern. And on Wednesdays, we have our Pathfinder first edition game, 50 Shades of Crimson. We really like colors here, in case you weren't sure. Um, and uh, and those are all, uh, I'm not going to say anything about whether or not they're happening this week, because every time I do, it jinxes it. So those are when they're scheduled. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh and um let's see what else oh we're gonna have a uh aether and steamworks one shot coming up in a couple of weeks if you missed the first time we got to host a one shot of that system here before um please come by and check that out we've got uh apache one two 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 who is brand new to the ttrpg scene this will be his first ever TTRPG game is going to be uh, joining us in the player's seat, so that's exciting for him. And uh, it's a really fun... Um, kind of steampunky setting. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it was written by um, Ty Burris, who's been on the stream a couple of times before, and uh, a really, really neat system. I, I uh, am excited. I'm looking forward to it. So swing by and check that out. Um, details will be posted on Twitter as we finalize them. I think that's everything that I need to talk about tonight. So we are going to uh, we're going to go raid our friends over at Total Party Chill, who are actually in the middle of a session zero. They are streaming their session zero, which I think is really cool. So um, if you're interested in anything like that, um, stick around, check them out, and uh, we will catch you all next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tales from the Tavern. If you ever have a question you'd like our group to answer or would like us to add something to the podcast conversation, feel free to reach out to us at anchor.fm forward slash tavern tales or look us up on Twitter at shared exp RPG. You just may hear it answered or even included on the podcast. Thanks so much. Don't forget to release a water elemental.